Good morning, church. Happy birthday. Thank what was that, yesterday, day before, somewhere? A couple of days ago. A couple of days ago. Happy birthday to Al. Thank you. He's catching up with me. What's the uh, number now, by the way? <clears throat> number is 58. And uh, Dad said, I can't believe that I've got a son that's almost 60 years old. And I said, well, Dad, I can't believe I have a dad that's almost 80 years old. So <laughs> there you go, right? Yeah. Now, we had a great birthday uh, celebration, and uh, Lisa's is this week, so it's always a fun week for us. Anybody besides me struggling with the crud? That's the crud, a few of you out there. It's Louisiana in the winter, right? So you know what I think of every time I get sick like this, Mike? Heaven. I've been working on a, a rewrite of a song. So I'll, I'll try it on you today. You want me to try yeah, it? Yeah, go ahead. No phlegm in heaven. <laughs> no tissues needed. All of our airways will be clear. That's all I got so far, but I'm working on it. It's such an original tune, too. I it like is. That. It is. I just thought it up. I, I spent a lot of time in the car these days. So. <laughs> Well, so glad that everyone is here, and I, w- I want to welcome our live stream audience as well. And uh, and by the way, thank you because we receive uh, you know we receive so many emails or messages from uh, all the different uh, uh, folks around the country, different places, and uh, uh, that's so encouraging. And as well as of course, folks right here. Uh, but it's just amazing uh, what goes out of here, and you think, well, maybe that didn't hit, and all of a sudden somebody writes you a note about how it meant something to their life, and. So our live stream audience, thank you for your uh, action. Matter of fact, uh, Rich, Rich yeah. uh, that did the communion announcements, you know, they did a, uh, uh, they took peak of the week into their coffee shop that they're a part of where they have some Bible discussions and everything. And so we're just reaching more and more folks in many different ways. That's it, pretty exciting. It's amazing how God has grown uh, our live stream family all around the world, uh, which is a great blessing for us. Gives us a chance to reach people in places we never thought we'd be able to. And so we appreciate the interaction. Our podcast uh, is a part of that as well. And so God be praised uh, for what he's doing in our church. Kate Spence, are you here? There she is. Come on up here, Kate. Says here, my spies tell me that Kate is an honor student at West Monroe High School, my alma mater. She's also on the student council and the dance team. Come over here, Kate. Um, we're proud of you. Thank you for all you do. All right, she's going to read our scripture today. Okay. This is First Peter. Do I need to hold it? Okay. This is First Peter 1, verses 3 through 4. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept for you in heaven. Thank you, Kate. (laughs) Great job. And I appreciate her witness uh, and her involvement in high school. It's so great to make a difference and an impact. You know, Mike, one of my greatest laments in life is that during the era that Kate has now to make a difference, uh, I was, I switched teams. Uh, I was a Satan representative. And so I had zero impact uh, on my high school, on people my age. Uh, I was self-serving. And it was 18, uh, once my high school years were over, when I finally was broken 
and came to Christ. But I love it. I love seeing teens and college-age kids engaged and involved because that's where people are making their decisions. And so praise God that I, I was broken and turned back to him. But I really respect uh, our teenagers standing for Christ. Yeah, I was about the same age, 18 or 19, when my whole world changed. And uh, uh, I'd had a lot of information, but I didn't have much transformation. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thankful for the grace and mercy of God that uh, let me live long enough to find out some good news and to keep trying to share that good news with other folks. We're starting off a new series today, and they uh, uh, called it A Fisherman's Diary. It's going to be basically uh, the uh, book of First Peter and be looking at some things there. You know, he's writing this to a whole group of people that are suffering. Suffering is a universal language. In every pew, there's a broken heart. And this book has something to say to each and every one of us about the hope we have at the end. You know, people are broken every single day, either not necessarily in Christ, but in Christ or not in Christ. And my theory is that all those who are broken without Christ usually wind up in bitterness, right? Because if you don't have something to turn to in that moment where something breaks you, what what happens? You turn inward. And you, and it, it turns into a bitter heart and a, and a bitter root begins to set up. But when we find in our brokenness, when we find Jesus Christ, we're changed and a transformation begins to happen. And so what we love, Mike and I were so excited about this new study because first Peter is such a book about hope. I mean, he was talking to some people that were going through some very difficult situations. So hope was at the forefront of of his message. But we all know why hope was so important to Peter, right? Because we got to watch his transformation. We got to watch his path to brokenness. And so today we want to talk a little bit about the author, Peter, because if you want to understand a book, you have to understand a little bit about the person that wrote it. Now, Peter is interesting because that was not his original name. Uh, You know, in the Bible, names are a big deal, especially in the Old Testament, they were attached to character. Or in many cases, it was a prophecy of what the personality or what the character of this person was going to be. I think about Jacob and Esau when they were born, right? Jacob meant deceiver. And certainly that fit his character, right? And through his early years and all of his difficulties and all the blended family issues he had, I mean, that deceiver, you know, concept and personality and character were always at the forefront. Until finally he was broken. You remember in Genesis 32, he wrestled one night, all night with God. And finally he was broken, literally. I mean, his body was even broken. And God says, I change your name. Your name is now Israel. He who struggles with God. And so out of that brokenness, Jacob's life was changed. And so we're going to see the same thing with Peter. But of course, when we first see him, his name is Simon, which means one who hears well, we know from Luke 6 that Jesus changed his name to Cephas or to Peter, which mean what? The rock. And I love it because there's no way when he changed his name that Peter was a rock yet. <laughs> Not yet. But Jesus was looking ahead and said, oh, you're going to be a rock. You're going to be solid. And that's exactly what happened in his transformation. So Peter goes from a fisherman to a follower to a disciple to a, an apostle, to a preacher, and an, and an elder uh, shepherd taking care of folks. But look, this uh, book that was written was written, this is 30 years after uh, Luke 5 where he gets called to be an original disciple. And what's he doing? He's out there fishing. Now, I, you'll have to speak to the expert side of fishing now because I'm not much of a fisherman. 
I grew up uh, uh, fishing some, and, but mine was a very simple thing. You put a worm on the, on the hook with a cane pole, and you threw it in my uncle's stocked pond, and I caught something every time, you know? Uh, and so that was the extent of, <laughs> yeah, I didn't really do a lot of on the river, net, all that kind of stuff, fishing. Mine was a, a little bit more tame, but very successful, I will have to say. Well, that's the first rule of hunting and fishing. Go where there's plenty of game and fish, right? I mean, that's really the secret to everything. Uh, I, I love the fact that Peter's occupation and his name tie in so much to who he is. And you think about it, Jesus chose 12 disciples, four of them were fishermen. So there's obviously something about this, you know, that mattered. And I do understand because I grew up and Jace grew up and, and Willie grew up, you know, commercial fishing in the Washtenaw River with our dad. And it's funny because, you know, the name Robertson, we went to Scotland. Uh, the people that were there told us about the history of our name. Uh, and I don't know if you know this, Mike. So we were, we, Robertsons were known for storytelling and making jelly. I can understand that. So that was the two things we were known for. And I thought, well, that's pretty good. We still make jelly. And we, you know, we will tell a tale. Ask that if you don't believe it. He'll tell you one, right? But also our, our phrase for our family was fierce when roused. Fierce when roused. And I don't even know what that means, but it sounds really cool, right? I want that on there. Fierce when roused. So your name does matter, but it's a, it's a transformational process. Peter did not yet possess this character. It would have to progress to be a part of his life. And fishing was such a part of that. In fact, when we get to Luke chapter 5, we see that his very calling by Christ was done around fishing, right? You remember the story in Luke chapter 5? Jesus is there, and he's sharing with some people, and he's right there on the bank of the Sea of Galilee, and there's some fishermen nearby. They're cleaning their nets, which I totally get, because that's what we did. We strung up hoop nets all over our property. We were out there with brushes, you know, getting all the silt off of the nets, and Dad's going through and passing them and retying them. So this is what fishermen do. Without good equipment, you can't catch fish. And so that's what's happening in this setting. Now, Jesus, of course, knowing that he's about to call some disciples, decides to do a little directional dialogue. And so he says, hey, I need a boat. What about you, Simon, one who hears? Can I use your boat? Simon brings his boat over. They push back a little bit where that water can amplify Jesus' words. And now you got a guy in the boat and he can't leave, right? Which is what Jesus wanted. And so now for the first time, Simon Peter is listening to the words of Jesus. But it's still not enough. Because Jesus looks at Simon and says, hey, I tell you what, I finished preaching. Why don't we just push off and throw the nets back out? Now, here's a guy that knows fishing, and he's got the rabbi in the boat, and he's thinking, you say, how do you know this? Because I know fishermen. He's thinking, this guy doesn't know about fishing. He knows about preaching, right? But something Jesus has said has impacted Peter to the point where he says, you know, Lord, we fished all night. We hadn't caught anything, but because you say so... Which means what? We're not catching anything. But because you say so, we'll, we'll push out and put the nets out. And they did. And, of course, we know what happens next, right? A miraculous catch. I mean, the boats are sinking. Fish are everywhere. And if you want to get commercial fishermen excited, fill up the boats with fish. And that's what happened. And what's interesting is, you know what Peter's response was? When Simon saw this in verse 8, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. What a reaction. What does that mean? Go away from me, Lord. 
I mean, when I look at it, I think he's saying, look, you, you don't want to be around me. You don't want me. I'm too bad. I got too much baggage. Whatever he was thinking in the moment. And it was just off of this fish catch. Lord, you don't want to be near me. But it's interesting to me how that Christ sees in us and more in us about the future than we see about ourselves. He knows the, he knows what the future is going to bring down for Peter, but Peter doesn't understand it. This seems like a pivotal moment for Peter, uh, because he is humble. He is acknowledging his own sinfulness. And yet, what's Christ turn around and tell him a couple of verses later? He says, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to become a fisher of men. You're going to be used for something far greater than what was happening today. There's something greater that's going to take place than, than the miraculous fish you saw today. Even although you say I'm a sinful man, get away from me. He says, no, you're exactly the kind of person I want. And then that's so true of us. And by the way, you think for a minute that this is a, a, a broken time in Peter's life. And it is, but it's not going to be the only one. It might, he might feel like this is really the time when things turn. But he's going to have these kind of moments all throughout his life for the next 30 years. And so it's kind of like us. We really can't see sometimes in our own sinfulness how God can use us or what he has planned for us. But when Jesus says, I can make you more than you are, you got to believe Jesus more than you believe the messages you've been telling yourself. And this is something Satan uses against us in our own mind. If he can get you to believe what you tell yourself about yourself greater than what God says about you, then he knows he's got you. You've got to trust God even when you think he doesn't even want to be around you. Still, he's got something planned for your life. I love Jesus' response in verse 10. He looks at Simon when he says, go away from me, Lord. Which, you know, I'm, how would you take that? Go Get away from me. I'm so bad. Jesus says to Simon, don't be afraid. See, Jesus recognizes immediately that it's fear is what motivates us to want to run the other way from Christ. The fear that we can't, we're not good enough. The fear we can't make it. The fear that he won't love us. The fear that someone else will recognize that we're frauds, that we're hypocrites. He says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. A fisher of men. That's what he would become. And Jesus saw that in him. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. And you don't see Peter fishing anymore until John 21. Until he was a failure. And he goes back to what he had always done. Peter did become a fisher for people that day. But he wasn't quite there yet. He still had a lot to experience and a lot to know. And so when you look at the three years that Jesus was discipling Peter, we saw so a lot of back and forth, right? We saw him in the moment where Peter would be bold and he'd say the right thing and he would do the right thing. And then we'd turn around and see him where he just totally blew it and dropped the ball. Back and forth. He went from being a reed to a rock and back and forth. I think one of the most glaring examples of that is Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus says, who do you say I am? And Peter immediately, right, he jumps to it. He knows you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon. You didn't get this from men. You got this from God. And I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, which we know are going to be unlocked once Jesus left. What a moment for Peter. But in the same conversation... Less than seven verses later, Jesus is telling him how it's going to happen. And he pulls Jesus aside and said, no, 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 no. That's not the way it's going to happen. 
I'm paraphrasing, but he said, no, Lord. And Jesus rebukes him in the same conversation. I mean, we hadn't had about a few minutes go by. Never, Lord, you're never going to do this. And Jesus said to him, what, right after that glowing report, get behind me, Satan. Wow. That happened like that. Now, when I look at that, and I look at the way that I can be on cloud nine and having this great experience, and some of you are at the retreat and everything's so great, and then all of a sudden, 12 hours later, you blow it, and you're thinking, man, I'm so terrible. Well, you're like Peter. You're a rock and a reed. And you're one who trusts in Christ. So the highs and the lows are all in Christ. And we see that throughout his entire ministry. If we don't learn anything else from Peter, learn this. Brokenness brings you to usefulness. Brokenness brings you to usefulness. And so out of these uh, jars of clay that Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 4, out of our brokenness, out of the cracks in the jar... God, Paul says God's glory is pouring into that vessel, the treasures are, and out through those cracks shine the glory of God. That's what he does through your brokenness and my brokenness. Is that God's glory is what gets exalted, which is exactly what needs exalted. Not, not the man, not the container, not the earthen vessel. Uh, but who else hides treasure in something that fragile, you know? We put our treasure in safes and things we can lock up and protect. And God put the most treasurable thing of all, the message of his son, in a bunch of broken vessels and says, I'm going to make you very useful for the kingdom of God. And that always means we get no glory. God gets all the glory. And we get the joy of being used, even in our messes, we get the joy of being used by God in the kingdom of God. Amen. Um, I don't know if you had a moment where you came to brokenness and understanding. Or maybe it was a series of moments. It's different for people. Mike and I talked about being two 18 years old, and we got to that moment in different ways. Mike's was more of a series of moments that got him to that place of brokenness. And God wound up bringing him here to go to school. For me, it was more of a single moment, a terrible, awful day that started out with promise, but because of my lifestyle and where I was, just ended terribly and police were involved, and I was broken and bleeding. And in that moment, it was a moment for me, I finally looked to God and said, I need you. I need to be in you. And it started a pathway for me. Peter was like that. I think it was a single moment. On the night when Jesus was preparing for his death, his burial and resurrection, he was there with his disciples, and we know, of course, first he predicted one who would betray him over to the leaders of Israel. But then he also made a prediction that that night, because Peter was so vehement about his support of Jesus, he made a point to tell him, you're going to deny me three times. Luke chapter 17, Jesus said, verse 31, Simon, Simon, Satan is asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I prayed for you, Simon that your faith may not fail. And then he says something that you know had to hurt. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So it wasn't a question of if he was going to deny him. It was when. And he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Here he is again, bold Peter. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. We know from later in Luke, in verse 60, chapter 22, 
the rooster crowed. Peter had denied him three times. And Luke gives us the insight that he looks across the courtyard and the Lord looks at Peter. And then Peter remembered the words. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. I believe that was the moment for Peter. Can you imagine looking into the face of Jesus, whom you said you would die for, you would go to prison, you would suffer whatever had to happen, and just a few hours later, you did exactly what he said you would do. What it must have felt like to look into the face of our Lord when you had just done this. And so I believe that was the moment that broke Peter, where finally he had nothing left, and that's all he could do was weep. And then, of course, Jesus later was crucified, and I'm sure in Peter's mind, it was over. Can you imagine how Peter felt that day of Pentecost and Jesus has gone back to heaven? And all of a sudden, he's one of the ones that gets up and speaks. And he preaches this good news of the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. I mean, how can he do that with such confidence after having the problems that he had? Just like all the rest of us, he knew it was only by, only by grace that God was using him in his brokenness. Yet he preaches that first uh, gospel sermon there as the, as the church gets started. 3,000 folks come out of there dripping wet, being baptized into Christ, and the church is off on a running start. And from there, Peter's in jail. He's preaching boldly. He's praying with brothers. Uh, on and on it goes. The transformation of his life continues. So finally, he gets down to, a, to, to knowing a bunch of folks that are in modern-day Turkey now in a variety of places. And Peter writes a letter to him. And when he writes this letter to him, I want us to look at just the first two verses. That's all we're going to look at on the book today. But he writes this letter to a group of people that are suffering. Now, suffering during the days of, of, the, of these times can be really, really tough. Uh, we all go through different kinds of suffering. But at one particular time, there were, if you remember the, the, the terrible leader of Nero, when he burned his own city and then blamed it on the Christians so he could build new buildings in his own honor, he would take and he would burn Christians at the stake to light up his garden. Think about the suffering and the persecution. Not only that, he would take live Christians, he would kill animals, he would sew them up in the animal skins, and then turn his dogs loose on them to watch the dogs tear them apart. This is the brutality of some of the suffering. Now, these folks didn't have that kind of suffering every day of their life. But we all go through different times and kinds of suffering. Matter of fact, Peter's going to even use that word various kinds of sufferings that we all go through, various kinds of trials that we deal with. But look at the look at this verse. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect or God's chosen, strangers in the world or aliens, one version says, scattered throughout Pontius and uh, Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bethania, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood, you've got the whole Godhead involved in this thing of taking these people who are chosen by God through the gospel, make, being made pure by the Holy Spirit. The whole Godhead's involved in their transformation. And he says this one statement at the end of verse 2. Grace and peace be yours. And I love how he ends it. In abundance. Don't you think people who are going through difficult times could use some grace and peace in abundance? You know, they, they've been suffering some difficult things. And he's going to tell them 
how to have hope through difficult times, as well as how to be good witnesses in the middle of their life when they're going through tough times. It's a tough time for them. But there's hope, there's grace, and there's peace, and it's in abundance through God. So there's Peter. Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. And then he spends three years with him, learning, being discipled. And he has these wonderful mountaintop moments and these other times where he sticks his foot in his mouth and he blows it. Remember, he got out of the boat to walk on the water and he did it until he didn't. So many things. Now he's broken. He's wept. He goes back to fishing. That's all he knows. And we get to John 21. He's back in the boat. They're fishing. There's a guy on the shore. They're not quite sure who it is. He's built a fire. He says, why don't you put the nets out over there? And they do. And it's another miraculous catch of fish. And all of a sudden, you know, Peter's heart is burning inside. And what does he do in that broken moment? Before, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Now he jumps in that water and he swims to Jesus as fast as he can. You say, how do I get to Christ? You swim or run or crawl as fast as you can. Because in him you find that redemption, that forgiveness, that reconciliation. And in the moment sitting on that bank, Jesus in his glorified body over eating some fish, he asked Peter three times, do you love me? And three times, the same amount that he denied him, he says, you know, I love you, Lord. Then feed my sheep. And that's what he's done. And that's what we're going to study for these next few weeks in First Peter. The feeding of sheep because he himself became a shepherd because of the power of Christ. You may be here today and you may be brand new and you may be struggling. You may be broken at that first time. Maybe you're in a series of some broken moments and you're saying, how can I possibly see a pathway? Because you've got to get to Jesus. He makes it real. Can you see yourself 30 years from now serving Christ, having a family that loves the Lord? You know, I don't know about you, but if I wouldn't want to go back and, you know, show the world those four years of my life that I was serving Satan. That's been a long time ago. But at the same time, I realize that God has grown me in my character to this point today. That's what he does. But you have to make that first step of submission. And if you've never done that, today is your day to come to him and say, Christ, I, I want you in my life. I want to be in you. I want to change. I want to be different. I want out of this brokenness you to grow me into a man or a woman that shows your love and shows what you can do to feed sheep. If you've never done that, if you've never obeyed the gospel, you've never been baptized, today is a great day to begin. If you've got a need at all, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing. Mm-hmm.